You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Come on in. Uh, take your shoes off. It's been raining for weeks out here. I don't know. I, the noise canceling may kill it, but it's pouring out here in Los Angeles. It's it's kind of strange. It's wild to see because uh, now the hills that we live in are normally very brown and it's vibrant. It's like very hyper, hyper, hyper saturated green. Lots of like greenery coming through on everything. It's almost like Jurassic Park out here right now. It's crazy. We've had so much rain past couple of weeks since since the holidays, since Christmas. Um, come, come on in, have a seat. You want something to drink? You want something warm? You want a tea? You want a coffee? You want a beer? Sure, we can do that. It's a little early on a Monday, but I guess we could do that together. Um, how are you? What's new? Uh, how's life? How's your January treating you? Um, it's a tough month for a lot of folks. Uh, doesn't it feel like everybody's trying to find cash quickly, right? You just go through the process of uh, buying all those gifts. You overspend. You're being too generous. You know, you you buy a couple of extra meals. You get gifts for everybody. And then like January rolls around. It's like car insurance bill. Bam. You know, you're like, fuck. Oh, yeah. And then like, oh, this bill, this bill, this bill. Like everybody's chasing down cash from the beginning of January. So it's, it's pretty intense. And it, it, unfortunately, in our business, many of us have been out of work because of the holidays, especially out here in Los Angeles. It seems like it's a big deal. Right around November, everybody kind of shuts down everything. And then it goes quiet. Um, and you're just sort of waiting for the business to pick back up. So I think for a bunch of folks, January can be stressful. You're sitting around, you're worried, you're concerned. And uh, just remember that it will pick up. The business will pick up. Take that time to do stuff that uh, helps you with the rest of the year. Maybe sit down and plan out your goals for the year. And write them out. It really works, actually. So sit down, write out what your goals for this year are. Maybe you uh, get started on your taxes early. Do all the shit that's going to catch up with you once you start getting busy again, because you will get busy again. Work will come. Don't worry about it. Um, so anyway, you are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Um, and today's episode uh, is a great one. I just finished the interview with our guest. Um, it's it's fun. This guy uh, has been making films, has been essentially sort of chasing uh, modern myths, like sort of asking questions about a lot of the things that are in front of us that uh, we don't really think about, right? How many times do you go to the mall, right? Maybe you've got young kids. You've taken your kids to the mall. You go see Santa, right? And the kids climb up on this stranger's lap. This guy who looks like Santa Claus. Got a big beard. Got a red outfit. But who is this guy, right? You've seen movies like Bad Santa, right? And you're like, is this guy? And I'm very cynical, as you guys know. I'm like, who's this fucking crazy guy that's holding these kids? <laughs> <laughs> um, but our guest on today's show, I think, asked that question. Like, who is, who are these, these the men behind the Santas out there? He did a film called I Am Santa Claus, which is a great one. I think that was his real big breakout for Doc Stuff. Um, and he's done other movies that uh, you have heard about. He did a film about an, uh, a mythical human, uh, a, a man who has been in 
the creative sort of zeitgeist ethos since the 80s um and a guy um, uh, an actor who a legend who uh the only way that you could book him or cast him or have him come to your event was not by reaching out to his agents or management not by following traditional communicational means you had to call a random number and leave a voicemail on an answering machine or an answering service pleading your case on what it is that you were doing and apparently according to legend he would go through those messages and pick the folks that he wanted to work with uh and i'm talking about the man the myth mr bill murray and we've seen the clips online you've heard the stories of how he would just randomly show up to people's events people's parties come in and bartend dj whatever it's just crazy stories and in what was fascinating about it is that he's a human being that's already put at mythical status right he's you know dr vankman from ghostbusters right and uh he's the guy that we watch every christmas when we're thinking scrooged and he has in his early film sort of a dismissive lovable sort of dick quality that as he gets older becomes the uncle that you want to hang out with becomes the lovable uh the guy from lost in translation the guy from broken flowers you know and so just to hear that this this legend this actor that would normally be put on a pedestal that is so far beyond our reach is just randomly seemingly doing it for his own enjoyment just walking into people's places going on his own personal walkabouts and hanging out with regular human beings uh it's such a cool it's a it's a great story it's a great legend and and today's director on the show did an entire film on it the bill murray stories so you got to check that out and he has done a recent piece which i haven't seen yet which tackles another one of the legendary characters from our childhood or maybe from your childhood um he does a whole piece on barney the purple dinosaur called i love you you hate me um so and i think that's gonna that's on the peacock network which is cool uh so i'm talking to uh tommy avaloni today and uh i'm excited that uh He's here and he shares a lot of his uh, methods as far as like how he finds the material that he wants to do films on, uh, his process on how uh, he goes about making them. We talk a lot about uh, the industry. We talk a lot about streaming services and uh, how streaming services have changed the landscape for uh, documentarians to be able to make money, to be able to get their work out there we do get into that uh we do have some moments or more specifically i have some moments where i get a little cynical on the show and i just i want to give you guys an early disclaimer just take it with a grain of salt right it's 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 dreary here it's rainy here your boy falls down into sort of a cynical hole every once in a while take it with a grain of salt sometimes i say stuff that you might find interesting there may be a little bit of learning in there but at the end of the day you know maybe it's just me being cranky today <laughs> i feel like i have to set that up um but um and tommy calls me on it so don't worry about it he, he knocks me off my pedestal so uh i'm excited about today's show thank you everybody 
for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast at a level of the process pod. That's a level of the process pod on Instagram. Thank you to all of our super fans of the show that uh, tell our sponsors that they appreciate us, uh, appreciate them sponsoring our show. Please do that right now. If you could uh, write to either Boca Rentals or write to Puget Systems on Instagram while you're listening to the show, leave them a message and say, hey, thank you for sponsoring the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. And that keeps them interested in us. And that makes everything, everybody happy here at the show. So please do that for us. Um, well, let, let me not draw out this intro any further because like, it's a longer conversation, but it's a great one. And uh, Tommy and I really get into it about movie making and we really dig deep. Ultimately, by the end of it, we start talking about the things that we love and the thing, the, the stuff that empowers us to get through how hard it can be to be a filmmaker the stuff that 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 gets us high on making movies so turn up those noise canceling headphones crank them to 11 sit back relax and enjoy the brand new episode of in love with the process Tommy, thanks for being on the show, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, get nerdy about uh, these uh, the mythical creatures that you seem to chase down for your career. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are <laughs> in many ways mythical creatures. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, let me ask a couple questions for you to get started for our audience to sort of catch up. You've been doing. Um, docs and doc series on uh, uh, it was sort of a joke, but it's not a joke, really, just on modern myths. 
whether it's you know what Santa, what those mall Santas do with their real lives, or um, you know the mythical stories behind Bill Murray, and then the most recent thing you did was uh, the I haven't seen it yet was the the Barney series that you did on uh, the purple dinosaur that haunted my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I t- I'd like to think of it as like something that's like all these things are right in front of you at all the time, uh, and you're just we're just looking at it in a different way, you know. Like, I am Santa Claus. It's like, what's a you know? Here's a here's a guy that's in your family photo every year, but what family does he go home to? You know, yeah. Bill Bill Murray, his movies are great and he's funny, but why is he going to some people's houses and doing the dishes? You know. <laughs> um, my documentary Waldo and Weed is like a little bit more of the outlier where it's like a little bit more of a serious story. My friend had eye, my friend's son had eye cancer at like uh, like six months old and they chose to uh, give him cannabis oil to help counteract the chemo. So that's like a little bit more of a serious one. Yeah. But then, yeah, but Barney, the I love you, you hate me on Peacock. It's like you look back at this guy that was always around. You're like, why did people hate him so much? You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no because i was the older brother that had the younger siblings that were watching that shit and i'm like what the fuck is this thing? <laughs> um but i love it man because i think the thing that i like the most about your work is that it seems like you're asking the same sort of question that i would maybe mine's a little bit darker and more cynical where like you have the guy that's you know lifting kids and putting them on their lap at a mall and i'm like Who's this fucking serial killer? Like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> yeah, well, our tagline for that movie was like, uh, whose lap is your child sitting on? Yes. You know? <laughs> and like, I guess like, you know, it, you could have made a horror movie that way. <laughs> yeah, it's very true, man. Um, <clears throat> so how did you get, why documentary stuff? Like, how'd you get into this? What was your, what was the origin story? Yeah, it was kind of like a weird way. Like, um, you know, I always wanted to be Kevin Smith, you know, like being uh, like a Jersey guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to be 22 years old and make clerks, you know, and uh, I did a couple, you know, scripted stuff with my friends where we really just kind of put my friends in it. Like a couple times, like we put like donkey lips in there from salute your shorts, (laughs) Michael Ray Bauer, or like, you know, Sky Schwartz, like just sort of like, uh, like just people that. You know, I kind of knew from either conventions or whatever, um, but it just—I was having a hard time. Like I, d- I had a hard time getting people to do what I—I I wasn't the best at directing actors or my friends who weren't actors, right? You know, right? So I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I started producing some stuff, um, and then I always thought documentaries would be fun, you know, because I always—I was like, I'm. I'm not like a traditional editor where like I couldn't like edit someone else's stuff, but I always was good at, you know, taking videos of me and my friends hanging around and making it seem fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when a movie I produced called Miss December was playing at a festival, uh, Morgan Spurlock was there and he was with his movie, the greatest movie ever sold. Mm -hmm. And we had a mutual friend, this guy, Toothpick. He did the Super Size Me theme song. Oh, okay. And so I started talking to him, and I was like, I got this idea for this documentary about, you know, w- you know, what does a person go home to when he's dressed like Santa? Uh, what does a Santa do like for the rest of the year? Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's a great idea. You know, and we just stayed in contact. Like, I tried to pitch it to his producing partner but they didn't want to get on board at first. But he's like, if you feel like this is a movie you need to make, you should make it. Yeah. So I just did, 
you know, and then we had a uh, professional wrestler, Mick Foley, get involved, and he was a first-time Santa in the storyline. <laughs> so it was kind of just doing that, and the movie, you know, we did it on Netflix for three years and kind of just kept going in that direction. Nice, man. Nice. And so <clears throat> when you when you put it together, that was just all self-produced, and then, you, like, um, because I, I don't think a lot of people realize how difficult – uh, setting up a documentary can be, and then obviously how difficult the editing of a documentary can be, because that's really where documentary films are made is in the cut. Um, and I've done doc, I did docs for years prior to you know jumping into the narrative stuff, so I kind of have my head wrapped around it. So whenever I see these things, I'm always curious how uh, these things get started for you. So, like the Santa one specifically, you had this idea. Did you just start? Like, <laughs> did you go down to the mall and be like, "Yo, Santa, here's my card. I want to make a movie about you." Like, <laughs> what's the initial? Um. Well, so like, as as far as like casting, you know, um, I was at this horror convention called Chiller. It's in Precipity, New Jersey. Okay. And there was this guy that looked like Santa. You know, he wasn't like a guest. He was just there. I was like, I'm so sorry, man. I hate to bother you. But do you like, do you do Santa Claus, you know? And he's like, yeah, here's my card. And uh, and then I saw that he was on Facebook. And I just started going through his friends on Facebook and uh, finding pictures of people. I'm like, oh, that guy looks like he'd be a fun story, you know? And, I, and we started reaching out to these people on Facebook and, and message them. And almost like we record their interviews, like, I, mean, I guess like a, almost like a, a podcast in some sense, it was just audio based. We would see their pictures. We would ask them questions, find their stories. And that's how we found out all of the Santas really through Facebook, except for we knew we wanted to have a gay Santa. We're like, Oh, well, that would be an interesting story. Like would someone have a problem with that? You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so, because I'm a Kevin Smith fan, uh, he produced a lot of Malcolm Ingram movies, uh, and Malcolm would talk about how he was a bear. It was the first time I ever heard of what that term was. <laughs> uh, so uh, our producer Annie went on a lot of these like bear message boards and was like, "Hey, is anyone Santa?" <laughs> uh, and we came across Jim, uh, Santa Jim. And yeah, and that's how we kind of came across it. But it was a lot of just sort of like follow, following a rabbit hole in some sense. Yeah, but slightly creepy. You know what I mean? It's like walking up to it. Do you, Santa? <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's like there's plenty of times I was like, oh, this, this is weird. I don't want to do it. And for different projects, I had not. But like, I was like, I just, I'm just going to try. And if I didn't, who knows? I wouldn't have maybe, maybe do it. But like. Uh, yeah, of course, of course. Dude. Yeah, I was happy. I was happy. He's in the movies. Uh, Santa Frank. He illegally changed his name to Santa Claus. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, because you know, a lot of young filmmakers listen to the show, and I think that with uh, Doc specifically, you really have to have this curiosity, but you also need really have to have the balls to go and ask somebody if you're going to let if if they'll let you film them, which you know is tough and difficult. And then you sort of run into sort of you know the the morality behind it at that, that same that, that same thing. So when it starts for you, it's just a great idea, and then you just at this point because you've done quite a few of them. Is it just hunting down these really good ideas? Like how are you mining your stuff? Yeah, I mean it is. It's like I have all these things written on my board, and it's like you know 
Barney, like Barney, was my first playing inside the system movie. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Santa Claus was a mixture of friends and family investing in a Kickstarter. Ghost Heads was Kickstarter. Bill Murray was a private investor. Waldo and Weed, uh, Waldo and Weed was a private investor. And all these movies eventually either got on Netflix or some other sort of thing. Uh, but Walt, uh, but for Barney, I love you, you hate me. Uh, I teamed up with Scout Productions, mm-hmm. and we we pitched it proper, and you know, and worked with Peacock, you know, Universal, and made this bigger sort of project. And usually, that's the goal, you know, is to to find an idea that is universal enough where we could pitch it, and someone will buy it up front. Mm-hmm. You know, that's perfect world scenario uh but you know this i'm doing right now i'm finishing up this project called the house from and it's all about people who live in famous houses from movies and tv shows we tried to pitch that as a tv show no one wanted it so i was like i'm just gonna do this myself like really at the time i lived in los angeles so it was easy for me to go to a lot of the houses Mm -hmm. but you know it's one of those things where it's like well i still want to tell this story even though everyone said no I really don't need anyone's permission, so I'm just going to do it. So, yeah. I mean, like, that's really the thing is like, I guess starting with, hey, this could be an idea that would work on a streaming service or whatever. Let's try this. And if everyone says no and I still want to do it, I just do it myself. Well, you, there's, there's something really nice about uh, understanding that that format that you play in really doesn't need a, a massive amount of production value either. So, like, you can, you know, pretty much grab a camera and run around and do a lot of this stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing that for for somehow all my documentaries were always traveling somewhere. You know, Santa. <laughs> we were in so many different. Bill Murray. We were in London and Scotland. You know, and the houses project is quite similar. You know, just Tulsa, Albuquerque, Chicago. Uh, you know, New York. I, we're I forget where we were. Uh, we're just in uh, Oregon as well. You know, there's just like so many different spots sometimes where you want to go to and you're always cutting things short sure but there's a lot of travel in my stuff and that's usually where a lot of the budgets come to like whereas you know if i told you the budget of these smaller movies i did that's usually like i don't know like probably like catering for like yeah a real documentary (laughs) yeah (laughs) of course of course of course but yeah, I mean, at that point, you're just trying to make sure that you're not tapping into your rent money. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I like right. I totally right. Well, like you know, we've been very fortunate to have people, even on the independent side, that believed in uh, us, uh, that were able to invest in our projects and stuff like that. But the idea is to make it small enough so when you sell it, you make that money back, and you can still make some more money. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we did. I was involved. I was an executive producer on uh, The Godfather's a Hardcore Doc, and then I was on two other docs for Rudy Hippolyte, and and I think both of those ended up selling for a short period of time to Showtime. And I think nice. a lot of people, when they when they think about or when they project what they think is going to be a payment for these things, they're like, "Wow, we'll, we'll make a bunch of money." These these networks don't pay a lot of fucking cash for for docs and stuff. So you really do have to keep your overhead way the fuck down. Is that something that you've noticed as well? Yeah, there was a big shift. Like, you know, we did well actually selling our Ghost Heads documentary because it came out the same day as the Ghostbusters 2016 movie. Right. Um, And we were seeing what documentaries were selling for at that time. 
you know, um, I guess that would, that would have been 2016 and Bill Murray stories. Uh, we, we premiered at South by Southwest of 2018. Mm-hmm. So we had this idea what documentaries were selling for and we're like, okay, we'll make it for this and we can sell it for that. And then that, so we play, play at South by Southwest that Sundance, like the couple you know months beforehand, uh, Netflix and Hulu were like, Oh, Hey, by the way, uh, we're not acquiring movies the way we used to. Uh, we're actually going to make them ourselves. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it really changed the game, you know, and like movies that were selling for $500,000 uh, were not anymore and drastically less. And it keeps going down every year. You know, it's, it's just different. Like you, I mean, you you could still make a bigger doc and still sell for, I, I, I've, you hear these stories of some of these documentaries selling for like $5 million, but I think that's the rarity, you know, yeah. these, and it, the smaller ones that we make, you know, Bill Murray stories or Walden weed and stuff like that, they're not going to sell for that much money. So you want that sort of mid sort of level sale. And I don't think that quite exists anymore. Even the house from the movie that we're doing now, we're actually going to release it ourselves, you know, like, yeah, we're like, Oh, we, we know how much it costs to get them on certain streaming sp- like platforms, like iTunes, Amazon, Google, uh, voodoo. Uh, we know how much that costs. We'll pay a PR person because a lot of these smaller distribution companies don't pay for PR anymore. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, what's, why am I giving all this away? Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit more work, but for a lot more money. So, you know, and like my stuff tends to, dip its toe into pop culture where there is an audience of some kind. So it's like, yeah, we're just going to do it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, man. I mean, like, <clears throat> yeah. Cause when, unless you're, it just seems like unless you're doing something that falls very specifically into the streamers, um, you know, drama, drama, is it like really sort of false drama format? You know what I mean? Like, it, like, there's definitely a format for the doc stuff that's put out there right now. And there's a format for the doc stuff that seems to be successful. And a lot of that could be serial killer porn shit or like, you know, there's right. like, there's specific formulas that you can see them uh, spending the cash on it's more than anything, because they have the stats on what the fuck, you know, everybody's, you know, playing at home while they're, you know, chopping through a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that was the thing. It's like, when we pitched the houses project, like, oh, what's a, what do some of these houses look like on the inside? What are the stories of people who live there and all that sort of stuff? I would tell it to people, like, oh, that should be on TV. You're like, you would think, but no one died in any of these houses. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's never going to be on TV. You know, and no, no disrespect for that. I mean, Barney does have a little bit of true crime in it, in that something like, you know, a gunshot goes off, like someone gets shot. But like, that's not why we made the movie. That just happened to be a part of the story we found. You know, that's not like where we're after. But I mean, that's, I think, a strong reason why um, it was so popular. Yeah, right. And then you're on a, you're on a, you know, you're on Peacock with that. So that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, It's interesting because, you know, I know a lot of documentarians that, you know, are essentially doing it out of curiosity, right? You see something yeah. in life, you see something that, you know, you're like, fuck, how come people don't know about this? And and that seems to be the purest form of investigation, right? And curiosity, but um, that really doesn't sell. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's fascinating to see 
that, uh, you know, because there's a lot of young docs that I've seen made where they sort of go through the growing pains of like, I've made an amazing film, it got into festivals, there's been a lot of really interest, there's been a lot of really good response in the film festivals, and now this should just fucking sell. And, and, and you go out into the marketplace and you realize like, whoa, 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 this, is, this isn't trashy enough to sell. <laughs> this isn't this is well, I mean, formulaic you, you look enough. at I guess, you know, look at any scripted wor- uh, world. It's the same thing. You know, you yeah. could have like an indie darling, you know, and like, look, I my favorite movies are A24 movies. They're the best movies happening right now, you know? But like, you ask like, you know, someone walking down the street, like, what's an A24 movie? They might not even know, no. you know, but they're yeah. going to know, you know, Spider-Man or any of the man's or woman's in, you know, like fi- flying and blowing up buildings uh, because this is the, what people like the, the masses would watch, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah but- so my, my screensaver went on. I thought the computer turned off. <laughs> no, no, we're here. You're here. <laughs> we're still here, brother. Um, I hear you, man. I hear you. There's a big piece of me though. I think it's all marketing too, right? Like, um, like I like because I just went through this with 12km and and uh, the whole marketing campaign for that and now having you know hunt, like thousands and thousands of people you know begging me to watch a movie about you know naked Russian I love that guys. idea though that was so genius <laughs> thanks man um, <laughs> but the the thing that I sort of occurred to me as I went through this process um, because I had some folks say like this is just a marketing scheme and I and I was like yeah but would ET be as big as ET was without all the commercials and the team up with Reese's pieces and all that shit? Like, would that have been the same movie if it was dumped on a streamer right now? I don't think right. so. I, I really don't think so. You know, it, it is yeah. marketing for stuff. Yeah. I mean, like it, it, it depends. Like something be, could be good, you know, but it's like, uh, you know what? What is what is it, right? Like I mean, like do you like for example, like a good documentary? Give me a second, I'm going to remember it. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I was like, it's a good documentary. I can't remember what it's called. Um, <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> oh, uh, it's 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 it was it was a heavy doc, right? And I'm I'm trying to remember what it's called, and I'll I'll come to it, but. Like it's it's just like a, it's a great great movie, but the subject matter was so heavy that like it took me like a year and a half to like get myself ready yes. to watch it because yeah. I just knew it was gonna be it was gonna stay with you, you know. Like we put out a movie uh, called Walled on Weed uh, again about a young kid with cancer. There's cannabis. It's like it's a really good story. Whoopi Goldberg's our executive producer. It played at Tribeca. Uh, you know, has these amazing reviews, but anytime anyone lists the movies I do, that one gets forgotten because it's like people forget. Like sometimes people even didn't even know I I made that because it was like it just became a thing. You know, like no, mm-hmm. it's like there was no pop culture element. It was just like it was a heavy story, even though everything's fine. You know, but it's just people would rather escape. You know, a lot of times people don't watch movies right now to watch something great. Yeah, they watch something to avoid their day. <laughs> yes, no, hundred percent. I mean, that's the that's the the notion behind streamers. I, I was just talking to my girlfriend about it yesterday, as we spent an entire day out, and I think I forgot my fucking phone. I didn't have my phone on me, and I just had this moment where I'm like, "Look, I'm a dude in his mid forties, 
there was a period in my life where I couldn't watch whatever the fuck I wanted, whenever the fuck I wanted. There was a, there was a period of my time where the only stuff I could watch was whatever was being broadcast on television at that time. So I would tune into a lot of stuff that now, if I had my judgment, I would not watch. And, right. And then, you know, if I wanted to watch a video, I'd go to the video store and then hopefully it was on the fucking shelf. The one that I wanted most of the time it wasn't. And so then I would have to dig around to find something else, but I didn't watch nearly as much stuff as I do watch right now. And you sort of have to ask yourself, are we all just sort of sitting around in an opium den somewhere with a fucking, you know, straight IV from Netflix pumping fucking Transformers cartoons into us? You know what I mean? Like there hits this point of like, what is the, what is the audience looking for now? You know, right. The documentary was called Dear Zachary. That was the, okay. the heavy one. <laughs> okay. Real good movie. But man, is it heavy? It's, it's good. But but like, no, I, you know, I found myself. I remember, I don't know, this is a couple years ago. I was like, I'm going to rewatch Community. You know, like I love Community. It's my, like such a great, great show. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's on my phone. It's on Netflix. I'm going to rewatch it. And opposed to like any time back in the day, you'd put a DVD in or VHS or whatever and you'd watch something or it's on TV you're watching. But like I could like watch a little bit of community like while I was in the bathroom or on the plane or on the train or <laughs> like or waiting for something anytime. You know, you could watch these sort of things in segments. And I just sped through all the six seasons of community and I be, it became a habit. Okay, well, what am I going to watch next? And like, I could feel myself drawing towards like needing that thing to watch. Like, mm-hmm. like you said with the opium, it's like I felt that need to watch something constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is fascinating, right? Because then that changes the the intent and the perspective of the people that are that are tuning into what it is that you're watching. Yeah, and so the, if that's the case, right? If you're like, hey, I'm going to go take a shit. I need something to watch. You're not, yeah. you're not necessarily going to pop on something that is uh, hard-hitting and, and going to make you queasy sort of dealing with the reality of stuff. I, it, unless, unless though, that's your fetish, right? <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless that's how you get your dopamine rush is by, you know, watching how terrible other people's lives are and then being able to sort of step out of it and go, shit, my life's okay. You know, like- Yeah, the, like I, I had never watched Breaking Bad and I started watching it like on the plane to Albuquerque. <laughs> and I just started watching it more and more and more. And I would watch on the planes, watch at the hotel. But then when I came home, I started watching it. And it, I just, it was too much for me. Like I didn't want to binge that show. And I didn't want the feelings I felt from watching Breaking Bad be how I felt at home. You know, he's fighting with his wife. He's lying to his wife all the time. Yeah. I, was like, I don't, I don't like this feeling. So I, I, I had a whole no watching breaking bad rule at my house. I would only watch it when I was flying or in a hotel room by myself. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of what we're talking about. I guess. Yeah. It's why, <laughs> I don't know I, if I got on the topic. No, no, you're, you're on topic. I, I had the same vibe last night with, um, my girlfriend's been watching uh, Friends from College. I think is it was it was oh, okay. Yeah, like a two. Fred Savage is in that, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is wild, right? Because you know Fred Savage, yeah. the Wonder Years. Like, oh, cool. So she she was watching that, and it's a good show, but it's 
it's kind of one of my pet peeves right now. It's another show about pieces of shit. So when you're when you're watching <laughs> the show, you're like, these are people that they're going to overly dramatize their lives, cheating on each other and fucking over each other. And if it's just an episode or a movie of that that you're watching, you're like, okay, that was interesting. That's wild. But it, as it becomes sort of this sort of cliffhangery, keep the drip going kind of content. Then it starts to affect people in the real life, you know, where, you know, your girlfriend's coming up to you next thing and she's like, are we okay? And I'm like, whoa, 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 <laughs> you've got residuals from that show about pieces of shit still running through your head. We're fine. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what you have been living for so long, like hours and hours, that, that those aren't real people. That those, those things that you're feeling, that's characters that have been crafted to continuously make you feel something. Like you're feeling the residuals of that, but that, that I didn't cheat on you. I, that, that isn't the, you know what I mean? And so it's wild, man. You're seeing the effects of po folks that become, uh, I don't want to say addicted to content, but they need it because it's, it's like the, it's like a more mature version of the, uh, you know, the key turn kids. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. When yeah, you were yeah. younger, it's wild. Latchkey. Yeah. Latchkey. There it is. Yeah. Latchkey kids. Uh, it's wild, man, because as adults now, you're just sitting here going like, okay, what are we watching? What am I ingesting? What am I doing? And then how much of that content is something d different? Most of it's not. And, and especially with the way that the algorithm works now, where you sign on to someone's account and you're like, all right, obviously you like Queer Eye because here's, you know, fucking 50 different variations of, of Queer Eye or here's 50 different variations of cooking shows. That, and that's the weird sort of dopamine haze that you're stuck in it's wild you mean man. the queer eye the same team that brought you i love you you hate me yeah. right now on peacock <laughs> that's right that's <laughs> no, but that's but, probably but why seriously. I brought <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously like i there's i watch like you know some movies that are kind of like downers and like I, I i enjoy watching them but like you know uh my wife will be like you okay did you watch one of those movies again because like i just like i continue that feeling it's just like it stays with you yeah um but like my friend derek who shoots more or less every single thing i do uh he he hates having conversations about what are people watching you know he he went out to dinner with like some friends and they're like all right well, what are you watching and he's like guys <laughs> if this is what we're talking about i'm out like i I, I can't I can't be a part of this. Let's let's be real people. Let's have real conversations. And if this is what you want from me, I can't be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I completely understand, man. I, I really do. Because it, it, it's sort of Don't an, get me wrong, I love talking about this stuff, you know? But I definitely see what you're saying where and I've thought about it too, like even some of the new like we're touching upon it a little bit in the house from, but there's also some other docs that we're exploring where we kind of talk about how pop culture is this new religion, you know, and yes, people yes. worship it in a way that wasn't the way it was in like back in the sixties or fifties uh, or seventies, really. A hundred percent, dude. You know, a yeah. hundred percent. You have, and I think a lot of that comes from our, like my generation, you know, where, you start to judge folks like, are you a, are you a labyrinth person? Are you a right. dark crystal person? And then it sort of starts as sort of like a funny conversation that you have when you're having beers somewhere and you're like, well, I like this. And then it, it then goes into the, you know, the zeitgeist, into the ethos where, you know, 
<laughs> let's say like the world goes to shit, right? And suddenly we're in a post-apocalyptic period. It's like, you know, a uh, Thunderdome where Max finds these kids you know, uh, hidden yeah. with a crash plane. And they're like, remember, you know, passage six version four where Luke Skywalker approaches, you know, suddenly it's been put on this sort of mythical Bible status. And it's like, no, 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 these are just, these are just movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd hate to talk about a movie that, you know, isn't even out yet, but like for, with our, our house from doc, it's like, you know, here, like people will make these, uh, pilgrimages to houses like missed out fire, full house or all that sort of thing. And, it's this image that they're worshiping and it means so much to them. But in reality, it's just a family that lives there that has to, you know, shut their blinds (laughs) and, and, and the rituals you would go to church to like, you know, the body of Christ or whatever they're, they want to throw a pizza on Walter White's house. You know, it's, it's a lot of these sort of unique things where we're like, Oh, Hey, this is actually, uh, you know, religion. Oh, I'm sorry. Pop culture is this. Is this really so much in our fabric now, or it is very religion-like? Why do you think people need to do that? Is it is it to to tangibly relive something like that? Like, I mean, like like go to the houses and stuff. And we'll throw pizza at someone's fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's just a jerk off, you know. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but like as as far as like you know, minimum of that, it's like you know, going to the house and I don't know, eating cheesecake out in front of Golden Girls. Like that's not harming anyone, right? Right. But you do feel a part of it. You feel like this thing that you saw at your home. These things are now coming into our home. I think that's a g- strong point of it. It's like. Back in the day, you could only watch movies in the theater. But yep. Then, as like VHSs came out and or Betamax or DVDs, they start coming into our home. You're watching the TV through your home, and now it's like on our phone, which is our everything. You know, it it comes way more personal, and you just you just want to connect to that. You know, you have this. I, f- I forget what the lady calls it, like a was a parasocial relationship with these people where you just feel like you're a part of them and you know them. Yeah, you know the the Family Matters house got destroyed, and now there's like this little plaque outside this new pl- house that stands there that says Family Matters, and people still go visit because it's like the the plot of land that used to be <laughs> the Family Matters house. It's wild, man. It's wild. I was watching an interview last night. I think. I think it was with Fincher, it was with, with another director, and they were just talking about how powerful this art form is emotionally, because you're essentially, yeah. you know, if you're in a theater, but at this point you're doing it to, to folks that are sitting at home or on the toilet or on an airplane, you're, <laughs> um, you're manipulating their emotions as, yeah. as, as artists. And there's a sense of responsibility. There's a sense of, uh, you know, result of that there's and so you have to be cautious of what you're doing and i feel like if there is that or was that responsibility at one point in time that's been thrown right the fuck out of the window because (laughs) of the you know the wars the content wars the attention wars at this point which you know i think the biggest currency for most streamers is subscriptions it's keeping your attention for as long as they possibly can and so they're going to do you know whatever they can they're going to pull whatever tricks out of their sleeve to keep you fucking tuned in and then that then starts to shift and alter your reality like i was saying with my girlfriend where you're watching this content 
and you're like, why do I feel like shit? Like, what is my life okay? And you're like, yeah, you've yeah. just been watching serial killer porn, porn for fucking two weeks. So, you know, no one's going to come and murder you. <laughs> yeah, like, my friend Timmy asked me the other day, he's like, what's a good movie you want to recommend? I was like, well, what kind of movie you want? He's like, something feel good? I was like... I don't know when the last time I watched something feel good. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> you know, like I was like, I, a lot of the movies I watch have like some sort of like under underbelly of darkness to it. I'm like, what does that say about me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but look, look, dude. There's a lot of great things that come from the movies. You, you know, in our Ghost Heads doc, we explored sort of what the Ghostbusters movie did for people 30 years later. I mean, this one lady, she was an alcoholic and just started watching Ghostbusters over and over and found prop making and all that sort of stuff. So the movie her, itself got her to stop drinking and she's been sober for way past six, seven years, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of good things that come from movies. Obviously we make movies. We want good things to come from it, but it is interesting because I feel like we're <laughs> just like, Hey, I'm a director of movie. You're a director of movie. Let's talk about how movies suck. You no, know? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think, they, I don't think they suck at all. I think that, you know, uh, movies are such an, a fun, uh, important art form. And I think that, yeah. It's not necessarily the movies that taint my opinion on the on it. It's the business. Ultimately, at the end of the sure. day, as artists, you know, we're directly trying to. You hit a point where you have this transition, right? Where you're like, "Hey, I have this really great idea. I think this is really fun. I want to explore this idea. I want this to be a part of my life. I want to go on this journey with yes. this, right? Because that's what we do. We we live these fucking things. They become, oh yeah, you know, stamps in our, our world, and we do that for our first few, and then suddenly we realize, well, I'm not going to be able to make cash this way. I'm not going to be able to survive this way. I'm not going to be able to continue to do it this way if I'm just going on a whim on what it is I want to make movies on. So now I have to sort of pay attention to the business, and now I have to sort of right. pay attention to how the business works, and then. If you're if you're smart, you figure out a way to sort of satiate both those things, uh, and and still feel like you're being an artist. But it's tough for a lot of people, I think. Like, and I'm in the process right now where it's like, like sometimes, like because because Barney went well, you know, people will bring me in an idea or something like that, and I shouldn't say bring me an idea; it makes me sound pretentious. But like, it's just like the <laughs> like someone will be like, oh, what do you think about this? Do you have a take, sort of thing. And sometimes I'm like, oh, no, I don't, I wouldn't want to do that at all. You know, like, yeah. there's like, I, I, you look at Quentin Tarantino and, you know, he makes a big deal about the movies he do, does. You know, it's like, you're all, he's only going to try to do the best 10 movies he wants to do. And you look at his artist going, man, that's great. That's great. That's great. But at some point, you look at other artists and you go, well, why do they do that? Oh, it's because it's a job. You know, sometimes yeah, yeah. you just kind of do something because you need work or want work or, you know, you just it's just work. And it's weird to think as being an artist is work where it's sometimes it's like, oh, I, if I did this, I, could, I would get paid a lot of money. But is that something I want to do? But then you go, well, I, I if I made that much money, I wouldn't need more money for this amount of time, and I could do what you know. It's just it's a weird way to look at this thing that you grew up being a fan of, mm -hmm. and a fan of people's like legacies, like you know, like oh, even like in music, like oh, No Effects did all these sort of albums, like oh, you know, and like when they have that one album or one movie that's like not good, you're like, you know, yeah, you just go, I. Oh, 
it's just weird to look at it as a job or, and not sort of like a legacy, you know? Yeah, no, it's wild. And th- there are times where like I'll see stuff like that and they'll go, okay, they bought a house with that. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And you really, yeah. you really can't, uh, at least I, I think don't. John Cusack's pretty open about that sort of stuff where he's like, yeah, no, that one I wanted to do and that one I wanted the money. Yeah, yeah, because you need – there hits a point where you, you need to. Like yeah. if, if this – this job requires us to be so in all the time. And it requires so much from us, not just physically, but emotionally, and then like monetarily. I mean, you talk about Kevin Smith, you talk about any of the the indie guys from the, the 90s, they went into copious amounts of credit card debt to be able oh, to, yeah. to make that stuff. So it is a reality. You eventually are going to be forced with that decision to do that. Um, and... I think it's fascinating to talk to you about this because I feel like the only stuff that seems to be successful, if you're if you're headed down a path to do a doc or a doc series, there just seems to be a very small sort of doorway that you're supposed to be cramming all your content through and at least getting the trailer meat to make it feel like, hey, guess what? This is this does have, you know, uh, serial killer vibes in it, or this does have <laughs> this sort of drama that's in, in, equated with it. Is that the sort of thing that you're thinking about now as you're making pieces? You're like, look, I, I know I have to hit some fucking, you know, notes here with, with this idea. Not really. You know, I, I hate looking at things. It's like, oh, this would be good for that. Like, or I should say like, oh, this would... Let me let me think of the answer before I just start sure. talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I never would want to do something because of the money, you know? But I do like thinking of an idea like, this would be perfect for that network, you know? Or that would be perfect for this. Or, you know, like, Barney was one of those ideas where, luckily, it was this, we got meetings with everyone. Yeah, you know, I I was pitching a, a bank robbing documentary with uh, Mark Wahlberg's production company, and I was like, "Oh, this seems like a no brainer." Mark Wahlberg bank robbing, you know, it it was like one of those scenarios where, oh well, people were in the heists, and this is a story I actually want to tell because it was about who are the people who rob banks and why do we romanticize the bank robber so much? I found out that I knew like four different bank robbers and I just instantly thought they were so much cooler because of that. Wow. You know? So I had this like fun way in, but like at the time everyone was like overkill on heists. So it was like, I feel like I'm saying like too much. Hopefully you can cut all those out. Dude, you're fine. (laughs) You're fine. But like, it was just too many people were doing high stuff and it was like too little, too late sort of situation. Yeah. And I don't know, like it's, it's funny where people will say pop culture is really in right now. It's like, well, I've been, I've been doing that for quite some time, you know? Uh, But now it's, it's weird in like how people are grabbing IP. Like there's two Pepsi, Pepsi Jet documentaries. There's there's always like a million different. It's so many different production companies are after the same sort of IP, and yeah. it's just it becomes like a race, and that that part is upsetting. In yeah. that, who wants? You, you, no one wants a race, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know? of course, of course, of course, because you know everybody. I mean, you're feeling it right now in January, right? Especially out here in Los Angeles in January, where everybody's like, I got to get some fucking cash. And so there's definitely a push for that. And with the streamers and with there being so many different outlets out there, there, you know, 
is a, an opportunity for for more stuff to be made. But it, the competition's pretty fucking heavy right now, and it, it's yeah. You, you I, I get that, man. And and it's wild trying to. You have to pay attention to trends, and you have to pay attention to what's happening, but you can't let them dictate you or control you because. Right. At the end of the day, that you you have no fucking idea. Like you could go into you know Wahlberg's office, and then uh, you, something could happen that morning that just completely knocks your your treatment right off the right off the board. You have no idea. That's what's crazy about our business in general. There's no set rules for this, and I think we're all kind of struggling to create a formula for ourselves that we can rely on. But you can't. It's really hard, right? Yeah, like, you know, there are room for, like, feel-good docs or documentaries that are just, like, good stories that don't have true crime. It's just they just don't sell as well, yeah. you know? And I never sought out to have a documentary that was true crime. I just happened to find an idea that had an element of true crime in it, you know? And that was the best way I could have ever walked into that world, you know? Like, yeah. I'm not, like, looking at my whiteboard and go... Uh, I need a bio doc. I need a true crime doc. I need a, you know, uh, Tiger King, <laughs> you know, uh, I just go, oh, this could be fun. Does it, you know, like, can we develop this? Is it, is it worth developing into, is there like companies that would want to be into it? Or is this something that I kind of do a little bit here, a little bit there, and eventually it gets done? Time to take a quick moment, talk about the sponsors on our show, talk about the folks that support and level the process. And we're early in the year right now, so we're, we're tackling our newer sponsors. We're trying to get all the paperwork done, for those of you that want to know the behind the scenes. Um, so I'm, I'm super proud of the folks that are ahead of the curve, right? Our friends over at Puget Systems, those guys have been since the beginning. I love these guys. Um, and they are with us again. Is this like seven years that they've been with us? Right? Talk about supporting the arts. Talk about supporting filmmakers. My friends over at Puget Systems, not only do they build amazing computers, they build phenomenal PCs, um, but uh, they really give a shit about art and artists. And uh, these guys, when they're with you, they're with you hard. And I love that about them. And if you're in the market right now, it's January and a lot of folks are like trying to decide what to buy this year that will improve their business. Um, there's so many tools out there that you can use to make yourself more valuable to your clients. So try to be smart about your spending, right? Don't go blow cash on some big consumer name. Uh, a lot of those, a lot of that money that you spend just goes to the unboxing experience. Why do that? Go buy yourself a PC. And yes, you may be timid. Those of you who grew up through the early 2000s and you're like, blue screen of death. What are PCs? I think we're, I think we're beyond that at this point. PCs are stable. They're customizable. And here's the best part. All the hardware is highly competitive. There are multiple options for hardware to make your programs run the best way that they possibly can. And with options comes competitive pricing, right? And prices aren't locked at a rate. You know, someone drops a card on the market, a few months later, it drops exponentially in price, which is fantastic for those of us that want 
high performance for lower dollar amounts, okay? Puget Systems has done all the hard work. These guys spend hours and days and months benchmark testing hardware, benchmark testing how stuff works with new software upgrades. These guys are the shit for that, and they have the best customer service around. Whenever you have a problem with Puget Systems, you actually talk to a real person. And I love that. They know who you are. I mean, when I when you get a computer built from them, they send you a folder with pictures. And I think there's even like Instagram tags of who put it together. The names of the people that put your cards into that computer. You get to know each and individual person that put their hands on this machine in this really cool booklet that gets sent with your new computer. Not only do they put predator vision on the machine, and you can see how the heat is dispersed within the unit itself. My computer runs insanely quiet. It's a very quiet computer. Uh, you can't even hear it when it's on, which is amazing. Uh, but it's also super fucking powerful because I wanted to build an editor, right? Because I edit all my own stuff. So I'm running a Premiere edit machine right now that uh, with everything installed, I can run over 25 different layers in a video sequence of full res uh, 4K video, 6K raw video from Blackmagic, um, real time, real time, which is super great because the way I like to cut things, it's very collage based, right? So I'm not the type of guy that is going through like uh, time coded notes. I'm dragging things into a sequence and trying them out, dragging clips around. It's almost like you're just dumping things on a table. Sometimes I'll reverse a clip. Sometimes I'll change the speed of a clip. Just looking for a vibe, just playing with stuff. And I hate, 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 hate it when you hit that space bar to get it playing again and there's any sort of delay. It just takes me out of it. So I have worked very hard with the dudes over at Puget Systems to build a computer that runs smoothly for me. And that really takes a beating because I beat the hell out of my machines when I do projects. I never follow the rules. And that's how I'm able to create the edits that you've seen. So if you guys want to build a video editor like I have, or maybe you're running a company that requires multiple machines, right? Maybe you're running a color correction facility, an editing facility. Maybe you need to have all those machines talking to each other. You want to have them all working together. Puget Systems is the perfect company for that. Go to PugetSystems.com. Check them out right now. They have consultations up there. Reach out to them. Tell them you, that I sent you because they'll know the type of person you are if you're coming from me. And they'll be able to direct you into all the stuff that I like. They'll be able to help you with what it is that you need to build. And it isn't just video editors here, man. They build computers that do VR spaces, CAD drawing, anything. We're talking high speed, powerful PCs. PugetSystems.com is a place to go. Do it now. Also supporting the show, friends over at Boca Rentals. The place to rent all of the coolest camera gear in the market right now. If you're here in Los Angeles, go to BocaRentals.com and just look. Look at what they have for their inventory. It's awesome and inspiring. I'm so excited to be in bed with these guys with the podcast because they are the home of Snorri Cam. They're the only vendor west of Texas to carry this famous rig. Uh, and they have an exclusivity partnership with Snorri Cam. Do you guys know what a Snorri Cam is? 
I'm trying to think of a specific, it's been in a bunch of different movies. I'm trying to think of a specific movie that was recent. Um, it's that rig that you strap to your chest. So essentially, it's a, it's a, it's not a, a steady cam because it gets strapped to the actor's chest, right? And so it's an arm that comes off their chest and the camera goes in front and you frame out any of the rigging stuff and so that the camera flows with an actor as they move through the space, right? It feels like you're in the actor's head. You've seen this before in different movies. You've seen this before on television shows. It is one of the coolest rigs, and it's a rig that has such a very specific stamp that is as powerful as the stretch pull from Jaws. I do believe that. It's such a great tool for a specific emotion. Um, go to Boca rentals.com check it out see what i'm talking about with the snore cam it's rad man um and one of the things that they do there at boca not only do they rent out gear but they also run workshops and so we're going to give you guys um more information on the workshops as they show up so stick around and i will tell you uh what's coming up usually on a thursday episode but i'll let you know and uh, they're always trying to provide opportunity for disadvantaged filmmakers for for younger filmmakers these guys know the power of teaming up with the youth because they're a younger company and a lot of them have come over from some of the bigger rental places and they know what the bigger places do wrong right and so they've changed the game a bit um, some other really important stuff they have they are the cinema resource specialist for los angeles they have a premium full service cinema uh specialist located in the heart of los angeles it is a one-stop shop for everything that you need and they have a broad spectrum of array of cinema lenses covering all formats and lens mounts. That's huge. That's why I really, that's why I, I, I gravitated towards these guys because I was following them on their Instagram at Boca Rentals on Instagram and I saw their lens uh, catalog. It was all the lenses that have been used for the television shows and the movies that I like right now. Amazing anamorphics, a vintage fucking uh, like uh, we use the Pancheros. Oh, those lenses are so gorgeous. For the new piece that we did with B. Miller, I, I think by this point when this show comes out, the video will be dropped. Um, we shot all that stuff with the Rancheros and the uh, Airy Mini LF, all from Boca Rentals. Go to BocaRentals.com. Check them out. I know you guys are going to be setting up your shoots Go to BocaRentals.com and uh, make a relationship with them early and get the shit you need to make your stuff look awesome. And uh, for those newcomers to the show, and if you're looking at, maybe you're listening to us on Spotify, maybe you're listening to us on Apple Podcast. If you are on Apple Podcast, leave us a review. Scroll down and leave a review for the show. That helps us. It puts us higher in the algorithm. Um, but uh, many of you who were just showing up, you're like, man, there's like 200 and change episodes. Do I go all the way back to episode one? Well, if you're a true fan, you do. But you can also just go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I curate the episodes by subject material. So if you just want to listen to directors, there's the director section. If you want to listen to musicians or chefs, uh, it's all there. Categorized, cataloged for your ease. And each one of those pages usually comes with supplemental material. So while you're listening to the show, I usually put up pictures. I usually put up trailers, all that stuff. There at unlovelyprocess.com. Check it out. 
All right, that's it. Let's get back to it with Tommy. What's your favorite part of, of the whole process? Is it meeting these people? Is it interviewing these people? Is it in the edit room? Like, where do you really get the high as a director? I guess it's like two spots. When it's like you're you're filming a couple things or you're about to start filming and go, oh, well, actually, this is happening. <laughs> yeah. this, this is happening, you know? And it, it, sometimes, especially with the, like Bill Murray or... You know, or, or even like the houses project where it's like you're you start filming things. You're like, oh, oh I have a hard drive that has these this, some of these clips. This movie's happening, <laughs> and it's like that fun feeling. But then also, it's when because some of the docs I make more so like Bill Murray ghost heads and houses, or you start how am I going to put this together? How does this make sense? How's this going to feel like it's not a bunch of vignettes? How's this have like a story? And as like uh, you start editing and it's starting to reveal itself, like that's the fun part. You're like, Oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. There's the movie. Mm-hmm. There you were the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you feel, cause I feel this all the time. Do you feel like when you sit down to start cutting and you're looking at all those raw clips, do you have those insecurities as you're sort of stacking them into the oh, timeline? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because it's like, it's so stupid because you go, oh, people are going to think I'm awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, I generally don't care what people think of me, but then sometimes you kind of do. You know, it's, it's so frustrating because you want, look, dude, I'm a collector, right? Like I have so many movies of VHS and DVD down my basement. You know, I used to work at a video store uh-huh. and so I love like, it's so comforting to put a movie back on the shelf and, you know, I have enough sp- these movies where I can make sections. I have my Richard Licklater section. I even have a <laughs> Bam Margera section. I have uh, one day hangout movies, you know, where you have like your days of confused and your, <laughs> you know, uh, clerks and, uh, 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 what's a good one? Um, Trojan War, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, or I, I even have movies about bank robbing. I have all these sections. So you look at these things and you go, am, am, I, am I messing up my section? Right. You know, like right. if, you're, if you're making this movie, you're like, am I, am I messing it up? You know, and that's me being a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino. I do not make good movies like Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I'm just, you know, but like what is the Tommy Avalone section yeah. in in this fictional video store that don't exist anymore. You know, what, what is what, when you click on iTunes, you click my name, what are the movies listed there? Are they all good? You know, do I feel they're all good? You know? Yeah. So there's this level like, Oh, is this going to be a the bad one? You know, is this going to, there's a couple movies where like, it's, I'm, I'm happy they don't make my lists, you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I like to think that my documentaries that I directed are, are quite strong. So I just try not to, muddy up those waters yeah it's true every filmmaker that i've talked to on the show feels this sense of um constant insecurity and then there's also the imposter syndrome which sort of kicks in and 
it, it, and I feel like that's the the most dangerous beast that lives in us as creatives is that creeping <laughs> is that creeping dark voice. You know, like I'm I'm cut, yeah. I'm editing right now. I'm in the process of cutting something, and I know it's going to be great. But as you're going through the process of the first couple of days of cutting, and you're like, "Fuck the continuity, fuck that up," and and it, as you as you're running through it, you're like, "Oh my god!" And it starts to become dreadful. Where you're like. Is this going to come together? And is this going to fucking work? And luckily, I've been doing it long enough that I'm, I just, as I feel like the water is coming up, like that dread is coming up, I'm like, just tread, just tread, just tread. It's going to be yeah. fine. Just keep treading. You know what you're doing. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. But the, you have, the, I have this mantra that I have to do in order to get through that moment. And I think that a lot of younger filmmakers assume that, you know, once you do something successful, then all that goes away. I don't think it ever goes away. I think that that feel of feeling of insecurity is, is a part of the process that you have to fucking battle all the time. You know, I have that everything you're saying. Yes. But I also have this scenario in which I think I'm amazing. Right. In mm -hmm. that, and, and it's not justified. Like I <laughs> will go I'm killing it right now. Doing really good. I mean, and I, but what I know is that like, I'm, a big fan of certain things and that doesn't translate to other things, you know? So I will send it out to people who I trust or and give opinions that don't make movies and some of them that do. And I give them notes and I go, all right, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Let's, let's, let's try to make it better now. You know, like yeah. where it's like, I, if I just, if I listen to that, I'm great thing and just put it out. No one would like it. You know, like it, it always, it, like whenever I send things out to friends, I read this book about Pixar and it was like all the Pixar movies, they would all send them out. Like they would send them out to all these people and they would just take notes and they would constantly give notes, give notes, give notes in a, in a good way. Not like network notes where it's like, <laughs> or, or, or a note where it's like someone's not in it, you know, like, it, I don't know notes that you were like, how do I want to put this? <laughs> I would just I just put it out to a couple of people and go, tell me what you think. And not in a way where like someone's demanding me to do something. Sure. In a way where someone's like, this is how I felt. This is how a lot of stuff. And I can then make it better. So mm -hmm. like there's plenty of times where I just want to go, dude, I like it. I don't want to put any more work in it. I'll just put it out. But if I did that, it's like, well, I'm just making a movie for myself. You know, so I have to fight back the I think I'm great part and realize that I know I'm actually not. You know, but it can be if I start listening to what people are thinking when they watch it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, so what we're doing is we're – I think this comes back to the root of what I was saying. Is it, It's that we're these like little emotional things, right, as creators. Yeah. And, you know, at least I'll speak from my point of view. I've realized how great it is to get high on making something like, like yes. when you're, when you're actually making something, it's like the biggest rush of whatever drug that you're taking and you know, it's going to disappear. And you're like, fuck, I want to be here all the time. Yeah. I want to be at this moment all the time. And so that to me is, um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, <laughs> like a crack addict on the street that is scrambling for that constantly going, I need to earn being here all the time. And so that anxiety becomes evil evil is like a really strong term, but it becomes <laughs> detrimental in you. And, um, and so we're just fighting that ego consistently where it's like, yeah. what am I doing? And, and if I watch something I do in an edit, 
and I'll say it, it could be the smallest thing. And I watch something that I do in an edit, and it genuinely surprises me, and it makes me feel something. Then suddenly I'm 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 on fucking cloud nine, where I'm like, right. I'm the shit. I fucking did this. I surprised myself, and I'm the most cynical motherfucker. I've seen everything. I've I, I know, and this still surprised me. I'm the shit. And then you have to remember that that's just this little microcosm of a moment that's affecting right. me. Now, as a storyteller, or where my job is making strangers try to feel the same thing I'm feeling, does that still fucking work? And what I'm trying to do in my older age is separate my my timid sort of ego from the process of tasting. You know, and so, like, if I'm going to make a meal for somebody, I'm not, you know, hinging my entire emotional core on whether or not they think there's enough salt in that bite. You know what I mean? And so, I think it's trying to change my mindset to that same vibe where it's like, okay, cool. I felt this here. Great. Did did you guys feel this? And how did you feel? And how did you feel? Oh, weird. You felt, I don't like the way you felt on it. And three people felt that way. All right. Maybe I should adjust like two things. Right. Okay. Yeah, great. because like I'll be like real into like this is this is good. This is good. But then when I like start sending out to people who are like I know or trust and like they're not connecting with it, you're like, damn it. Yeah, what did I fuck <laughs> up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. a good a good, you know, like but I was I guess it was around Bill Mur uh, maybe a little bit in Ghost Heads. Like I was in Santa Claus, I remember having a hard time work like collectively talking to people about stuff. Because it was such an undertaking in that movie where if anyone were ever to be like, oh, you should try that, I'd be like, you do it. You know, like it was like <laughs> like different like producers or something like that. And I had been working in radio at the time, uh, doing like video for video content. So I would have these like salespeople coming to me and be like, Oh, I think it should be this. I was like, Do you learn how to edit and do it your goddamn stuff? You know? And I would get like very like angry about it. So after Santa, I think I got past that because I saw Actually, some of my producers like give me notes that I would fight against, and I would see that they actually made them like better. I was like, oh, well, I should really be more open to this stuff. Yeah, and then and then I did, you know, and I really enjoyed. I would send people clips like, hey, what do you think of this? And I would actually make notes. That's where I'm at right now with the, the house from, where like I would I send out to people. I go, okay, well, I don't know if I agree with that, but if 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 you know, five people are saying something in this section is off, then I need to fix this, even though I think it's fine. You know, a, a good example was Waldo on Weed. You know, I had a, a way that I wanted to start this movie where it's very in your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the kid was crying and all that sort of stuff, and I would send it to all my, you know, indie doc friends, and they loved it. They thought it was great. Uh, but then I sent it to Whoopi and her team, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, and they're like, I don't think you should start it that way. I think you should start it, you know, like get to know them for a little bit, for a couple of minutes beforehand. And she would give these notes where like a lot of my more indie friends would agree with me over her. But at the end of the day, I was like, I don't know, man, like she's kind of like an EGOT winner, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and she does know how to talk to the masses. So I went with her and I remember watching that Tribeca and thinking she was so right because like, why am I trying to challenge an audience right off the bat on challenging material? Let's like walk these people in a little bit. And I was just so happy. I listened. Yeah. At the end of the day, is it this much better, that much better? I don't, I don't know. But like collectively, I just enjoyed 
hearing someone tell me something that I didn't think was right, but they were actually right, you know? Yeah, no, and, and but that's so important because what we create doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like what we create, yeah. it, it has to, the audience becomes an active member in all these pieces. They really do. And it, like what they bring to it and what, what comes from the, the world and the external, like all that kind of stuff filters into what it is that is being screened at that time. And for the short period of time that we have the ability to manipulate it until it, it goes off and lives on its own and there's nothing you can fucking do about it. Um, yeah. It's our job to sort of take in all this outside information. And I think the task of filmmakers is to disconnect all that feedback from our self-worth. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because because it it getting notes that change that probably very impactful, really rad way of opening your film doesn't doesn't mean that your ideas suck. It doesn't mean that you're right. like a shittier filmmaker. It just is like, "Hey, what if you tackle it this way and will it affect more than just the film nerd friends that you have? Like, will this right. affect the guy that pumps gas at the fucking shell down at the corner? Like, and you can ask yourself as a, as a storyteller, is that my goal? It, you right. know, like, and there's some times where like, even just going from, you know, Barney to the house thing where, you know, it's just, the house thing is such a smaller movie. And, um, whereas Barney, you know, it's just this big, it was this big project and there was a lot of voices and all that stuff and they, you know, they made it better. I'm not saying they didn't, you know, but it is somewhat refreshing to go for the houses thing. I was like, I'm just going to do this because I like it, you mm -hmm. know, uh, mm -hmm. like a small moments, you know, like, like just something that's like, in, in like, doesn't like, you don't need like a million, a committee for like this one line, you know? Uh, and if like I showed it to people and it wasn't connecting, I'd still take it out. But like, so it, it's, I don't know, it, it is sometimes fun to like have the smaller group and just like, and, and opposed to the big committee. Yes. But they're both, they're, they're, some things are good about others and some things are bad about others and they wash each other out. You know, real quick, the, the book I was talking to about uh, the Pixar where I got real into like appreciating other people's notes. Yeah. was a uh, creativity incorporated by, uh, Ed Catmull. See, I can't say last names. <laughs> you and I have the same problem. Um, yeah. But that's good. Yeah, I've heard a lot about Pixar and how that, and whatever their process is over there, they know like how to, they yeah. know how to make movies that affect masses, like huge masses of people. They really, yeah, I just cry every single movie they do. Yeah. They really, they really know how to do. And sometimes like the indie sort of cynical guy in me is like, well, you guys are just, you guys are just appealing to people. But then at the end of the day, I go, yeah, but isn't that the goal? <laughs> is that what you're supposed to be doing to right. a certain but extent? Yeah, I mean, but yes. Like I'm very similar to that, you know, like I was, I was talking to a friend of mine that does docs and he's like, you know, like he's a dude, I would love to do, you know, a Marvel movie one day. I was like, Ugh, why? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but like, I just never connected with Marvel movies, but like, I still like, you know, Adam Sandler is like a great example. Like Adam Sandler, like he just makes great movies, you know? Yeah. I mean, 
granted, maybe I wouldn't like Jack and Jill, but like Billy Madison is one of my favorite movies ever. And then he does Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems, and like he's just the best, you know. Yeah. But like his movies, some of them you don't have to think, and you could just enjoy it. Like Happy Gilmore, Wedding Singer, like all these movies are just great. But then other ones like Punch Drunk Love, you're like, wow, this is great in a completely different way, you know? Yeah. I mean, there is space for that stuff. I just, I just get on my little like um, high horse with Marvel movies and and uh, Star Wars movies where I just, I, I, I hit a certain point in my life where I don't like everything to explode. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I well, don't really need explosions. Like the Batman was awesome, I, and there's explosions in that. But I don't know, man. I just sometimes I just don't. I don't, need, I don't need the world to fall, fall apart. Yeah, yeah. And there's a piece of me, I get even more cynical about it. But there's a piece of me where I'm like, yeah, I kind of like movies where there's a filmmaker's voice behind them. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's the other thing, too, where I'm like, yeah, is this, who, who's making this? Is this a committee or is this a, a singular voice <laughs> right. that's making this? Fucking right. Thing? But, dude, like, I mean, was it The Whale? You know, did you see that? I haven't seen it yet. No. Is it good? Oh, it's amazing. It's yeah. so good. You know, but it's like if I'm having a rough day, do I want to watch an 800 pound man crying? No, it's very but true. it's a fantastic movie. It's very true. It's very true. There's so many great movies that you watch and you just finish it and you go, oh, and you're sitting with someone they go, what do you think? You go, that was a great movie. And I never need to see it again. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> so good. But yeah, that was it, man. I that was the experience I needed from it. I don't need to go back down that ride again. But the magic is like making those movies that uh, just like pump you up afterwards. Like I remember, like after watching Fight Club, uh, I was like, yeah, you know, or any like Rocky movies, or even just like you know, we're just talking about a twenty four movies, like everything, everywhere, all at once. I just like it. Just made me so happy watching that movie. Yeah, and I just was like, this is. It just makes me want to create, you know, and and even like a horror movie like Pearl, like the way Pearl ends, I was like, yes, yeah, that movie. <laughs> that movie, I was so surprised. By the way, I was so surprised by that movie because I saw X and I was like, X is cool. It's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets porn. I get it. That's cool. Really like it. And then he's doing Pearl, and I'm like, what? And it's this backstory on this. Who the fuck cares? And I really went into it with a bad attitude and watched it. And I was like, okay, this is actually great. This is really yeah. great. How did he convince people to make a movie like this? This is fascinating. But it's like one of those things. And and I'll watch a movie like that. I just want to reach out to the person like, hey, man, great job. Yes. You know, like uh, Greta Gerwig's one of my favorites. She did Francis Ha. And I was like, this is a fantastic movie. And I just I want to live in that world. I just want to say how I want to tell them how great it was, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the power of really great content, right? That's what we're chasing. Movies. What's that? I, I corrected you and called it movies and not just content. Yes, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. That's the power of well, good movies. I, I, think it was like, I think it was like Mark Maron talking about that. He's like, what is content? He's like, ugh. If you're out there to make content, he's like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reality of our of our world no, I, is we spend most of our time being paid to make content. I know. I'm just teasing. I know, dude. I know. <laughs> the, the, the but the romance that I love because yeah, I don't want to be a negative on any of this stuff. I think what I love about movies and what I strive for as a, as a storyteller is creating moments that that 
feel real, but also just stick with you. And I think that uh, my new obsession as a, as a director these days is I'm just more hyper-focused on on individual moments than I am yeah. like plot points or story structure. Like I, I feel like we're just ingesting the same, you know, storytelling uh, with everything that we do, which is like, you know, better looking cinematography on some of it and like, you know, different people in the same roles. And when I look back on movies that I love and I look back on stuff that influences me, it's, it's never the entire film. It's always just moments. It's always right. scenes and moments and stuff. And I, I've been hyper mining that stuff lately. That's kind of what my obsession is. Um, well, like, like, did you see bodies, bodies, bodies? I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm not giving anything away, but I was like, okay, you know, I'm watching. I was like, not bad, not bad. And then the ending comes out. You're like, they stuck it. They're so, so good. Yeah. It's like, they stuck the landing and it's, you just, you just appreciate it so much. You're like, that was great. You know? And I don't know. I just, there is such a, uh, satisfying, um, feeling when they it's just something so good. Or like I'm I'm just trying to think of like maybe was a joke. Some movies where like I'm watching the theater and going this is on the tracks the whole time. Yeah, and it just feels so like rewarding as an audience member. Like oh they just stayed on the tracks the whole time. It was so good. Yeah, but yeah, like they they set up a tone. They set up this thing that just pulls you in, and it's like don't fuck it up. There's there's a lot of times where I'm watching something like that, going please don't fuck it up, please don't fuck it up, and like it runs to the end. And you're like, ah, thank you, thank you. This is now, yeah. this can now go on my shelf of fucking awesome movies that I'm going to revisit over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's the hope. I mean, as a filmmaker, that's what I want, is just to be able to make a film that people are like pulling off the shelf to see a second, third time and be like, yeah, yeah, this is fun to yeah. watch, you know? I, I just, um, yeah, I'm like going through my list of like, like I should have, I wish I would have done this downstairs in my basement because I could have started pulling off movies off the shelf and just started talking about them, <laughs> you know, but like, but also like as far as um, the best movies, I also love like some of the crazy sort of not B movies, but like movies that are like B movies, of course. you know, like, uh, yeah. you know, like the, the, you know, rubber or any of that sort of stuff. It's like, you're like that. Yes. That Good movie job. is fucking phenomenal. And the movie doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but it's I'm not saying it is a B movie, but it's like very B movie, like a uh, formula for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it's a movie about a fucking tire. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's like one of those things where you're like, I just have so much respect for the person. It's like, you know what? I'm going to do this. <laughs> But from an artist, so like if we want to get very pretentious, if we want to get very A24 about it, the the that movie at that point becomes all about technique. So as soon as I saw sure. the trailer for that movie, I'm like, all right, so the main character doesn't speak a line of dialogue. This is going to be all technique. And it looks like they're doing a really great job with storytelling. Um, and let's get lost in the technique game. And, and that's kind of what I like about that movie is it's like – Every sort of spaghetti western meets horror movie uh, technique <laughs> put into such a absurd uh, idea, you know, fucking attire that has a personality. <laughs> yeah, so good. It is great. I mean, like it's like machete, you know. Like you're like I, I remember watching that. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 I, I just like last the last episode, last week's episode. I was talking with uh, a really great comic book artist and him and I have a love for, 
you know, what we call trash cinema, which is like a lot of not just Grindhouse, but a lot of like uh, uh, Yellow films, uh, like all it, you know, 1970s, you know, run and gun exploitation stuff that, you know, filmmakers that didn't have a lot of resources and a lot of, um, you know, like really great talent as far as uh, the actors were concerned, were really pushing the limits of scenes and really pushing uh, the stuff that you now would watch and go like, well, the story's kind of cheesy, but it's like, yeah, but that fucking moment, you know, that moment and they call her one eye where they cut into a cadaver's eyeball. That's the shit. (laughs) Like That's why I watched this movie. So you start to really understand that it's, it's just trying to create moments. It's really trying to find the stuff that, that speaks to folks. And if you're smart as a filmmaker, you do it at the end of the movie, because then it doesn't matter how shitty the beginning was. Everybody goes, ah, this was a good movie. <laughs> yeah. I always, I always thought I was like making movies was like, like, uh, like a good cookie. You know, it's like, you just gotta have that last good bite or else you're going to like be like, remember that last bite the most, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't matter how good because most movies, the most exciting part of them, and I, we're off on a complete diatribe here, but it's fine. <laughs> um, but most movies, the best part for me is the first and second act, really. It's it, because it's all mystery, you know? It's Right. It's all mysterious. And then, and then the payoff on so many movies always falls flat because how do you how do you wrap it all up in a fucking third act that no one has seen before, right? So, like, yeah. it's tough. It's really tough with that. I always wanted to do a movie where it was just like a normal sort of rom-com, but at the end, Vikings come by and kill everyone at the end. <laughs> like, you don't see it coming. Maybe, like, you know, like, there's, like, a couple, like, small things throughout, like, the mentioned Vikings, or maybe not even, but just for no reason, Vikings come by and kill everyone at the end. <laughs> I, can, I can hear the studio notes. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, Yeah, but where do they come from? What is their heritage? Yeah. Who are their relatives? Yeah, yeah, I can hear all the notes coming on that one. Um, but uh, well, I would never do it. It's just it's something I'd want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to do it for you, buddy. <laughs> oh, there you go. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, this has been a good. Where are we at? Okay, we're we're coming in close. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation, even though it hasn't just you know gone completely in the dark stuff. I, I think what to pull from this, and what I'm pulling from our conversation, which I really like, is just how we can be creative within the business, but also how we can be good to ourselves as far as creators are concerned and, and be healthy with ourselves as far as our insecurities are concerned. Um, and, you know, try to like have a longevity in this business, I think is the toughest part. And I, I'm always curious. I was so happy when the streaming services really started to dig into documentaries. Cause prior to that, yeah, it was like, where the fuck does this go? Does this go on PBS? Yeah. Like, it's and so I had so many friends that were doing doc stuff, and they would. Uh, I was like, man, there's no. How are you going to make money? <laughs> you know, like, how are you going to continue to do this fucking thing? And and it just seems like that changed for the better with the streaming services. You know. Yeah, that and like you know, you had Michael Moore and Morgan Spurlock making like exciting documentaries. Yes. You know, like taking the the documentary and making it fun and humorous. Like, or like, uh, was it uh, Seth Gordon with you know Can uh, uh, Kong? You know, that's like yeah, it's probably one of the best movies documentaries around there. It's 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 finding these worlds and these characters, but just making them very entertaining. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, you know, you look at the look at the food shit, you know, like uh, Hero Dreams of Sushi and how that changed right. food docs forever. <laughs> True. Yeah. So, like it's it, it's it's an interesting time to be a documentarian, I think. it. Um, but it's also, you know, I hope a lot of the stuff that we talked about on the show today just sort of gives you things to think about if you're a young documentarian. But also, don't be too, don't be cynical. I, I, I know oftentimes I can be fucking cynical on this show and don't let that affect you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's funny. It's one of the darker conversations I've had in a long time, and I blame you. Yeah, uh, it's, it's my fault. It's like, I don't, I don't, I never like to talk about bad movies, and I don't think I named any bad movies, so no. that's good. No. Uh, because it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, I don't, it's not that it's bad, it's just not for me. You know, like, uh, yeah, I don't like Star Wars movies, but obviously other people do. Yeah, uh, of course, of course. But, um, yeah, I just I don't want to be uh, negative or bad about that stuff because I just love this stuff so much. You know, I love I love movies and, you know, but like I also you said you were in your 40s. I just turned 40. Like, yeah, you know, I grew up in the time of these like this really fun sort of indie movement, you know, and with like the clerks and, the you know, Quentin Tarantino's and Robert Rodriguez is like, I just love all that sort of style of movie, like the nineties style is just so good. And like, I just read this book. It was the, the best movies ever in one year. They say 1999 is the, the year that like the best movies came out. Yeah. Yes. You're dealing with like yes. election fight club matrix, like all these movies, American pie. And I just, I was like, I'm looking at, I was like, yeah, they're great. Like this just that sort of style that, that the way people talked, you know, uh, was it, um, God, the, it's a, it's another A24 thing and I, I am obsessed with them, but uh, Euphoria, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day about Euphoria. I was like, Oh, did you ever see Euphoria? He's like, no, I'm not a 15 year old boy, you know? And I was like, right. But, but with that aside, it's really good. Meaning like, you know, you feel like a little bit of a, like a dirty old man watching this show. Yeah. Cause there's all these like young girls, but like, it's just it's very it feels very nineties like the way that narration comes in, the way it talks, the pacing of it. Yeah. Uh I was like, this just feels so nineties. And I just love I just chase that sort of nineties sort of feel of a movie, you know? Oh, hundred percent, man. Cause that's the stuff that was influencing you when you were younger. It makes yeah, all totally. the sense of the world. It it totally does. I like I'm a slight bit older, so for me it's like I'm still kind of an eighties boy when it comes to, you know, horror and stuff and, you know, John Hughes, but like John Carpenter and like gotcha. all those guys. But um, yeah, I mean, it's the shit that fucks with us when we're young and especially when you're in the horror genre. And I say this all the time. It, I find that I'm constantly chasing that moment when I was 13 years old and I saw, you know, the first nightmare on Elm street and, and it yeah. fucked with me. And, and so, yeah, as a filmmaker, I'm trying to get to that point. And a lot of my stuff starts to feel that way because that's what really affected me. And so now as we're pushing to the point where it's been 20 something over 20 years for the nineties, we're seeing that with a lot of uh, filmmakers that are coming up now. So it, it makes sense, man. 30 years, right? Is it 30 years? 30 in the 90s? something. Yeah. Dude, my, you know, math skills. That's why I'm a filmmaker. Well, give, give me a positive here. So like my, I'll, I'll tell you mine. You tell me yours. If you if you have it on the top of your head, like your top five movies, uh, mine is Billy Madison, mm-hmm. uh, American Beauty, uh, Fight Club, mm-hmm. uh, My Cousin Vinny. I love that fucking movie. And SLC Punk. Oh yeah! All right, all right. 
So, yeah. all right, top five movies. Hmm, I would say, right off the top of my head, the first Blade Runner. Okay. Uh, Alien, The Thing. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any current. I mean, Fight Club is probably on there. If not seven, Fight Club. Gotcha. Um, and then Ghostbusters would be up there. Yeah, Ghostbusters are usually on my top, but like I just because it, it's seriously one of the best movies ever made. Yes. But I just uh, I, I because I feel like I've done like Ghost Heads and Ghostbusters. Oh, I'm sorry, sure. the Bill Murray stories. I sometimes take it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the thing, Ghostbusters. <laughs> you talk about we talked about this earlier, like how it influences people. You know, the way that those guys came together as friends and they started to put together a business and they started to, like, they went and they, they bought the fucking, or they rented the uh, the firehouse and they did all that. When I started putting together my business when I was in my 20s, Ghostbusters was always going through my head. <laughs> always yeah. going through my head. I wanted to have that scene where we were eating the last carton of Chinese food going, this represents the last of the petty cash. Like, yeah. <laughs> that movie had such an influence on my life. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, it's really good. And and the effects look amazing. Yeah. The effects look amazing. And I think the reason why that movie is such a successful comedy is that uh, Reitman was doing a horror comedy. And so he really didn't poke fun at the creatures. He wasn't poking fun at the horror in it. it he was like, no, no, no. We're going to legitimately try to scare people with these fucking demon dogs. <laughs> you know? And you're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Best comedies are all played straight. I mean, was it This is the End, the Seth uh, yes. Rogan movie? Yes, great you know, That's movie. so good. Yeah, you know, like, movie. there's, like, longer cuts. It's all that stuff. It's, like, it's just a well-made comedy just played straight. It's a great movie. Yeah, it really is awesome. And I guess, you know, if I had to find the source of my cynicism as I talk cynically on these shows, and I'm, I'm being open and honest with you as an audience to, to, to help shed light on what a, you know, how full of shit I am. But at the end of the day, it, it really is that I'm chasing those like amazing moments that I felt like I had more of when our content was in theaters and our content was marketed to us. And there was a sense of excitement around that content as opposed to just, you know, sitting on the toilet waiting for the thing to load and, and watching the whole <laughs> I'll tell you the hardest thing for me to being a, like a filmmaker is coming down off of a finished movie. You know, yes. like when we, we played at South by uh, for Bill Murray and you know, you get, there's an audience there that's more inclined to clap at the end, mm -hmm. you know, because they know the filmmakers are usually there, you know, or it's the first time it's ever being played. And like the, the sound, I always film it with my phone. I record the, the audio when the credits hit, because it's like, that's the drug, you know, you're, yeah. you're there at a festival for a week, you know, you're doing press. People want to talk to you. People are telling you you're great. And yeah. And it's, and I always, I always <laughs> think of it. It's like in a week, no one's going to care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 15 you know, minutes after I get off the stage, no one's going to give a shit. <laughs> yeah. And then it's coming down from that, you know? Yeah, and like, yeah. that was the hardest thing for me for Barney, like uh, for, I love you. You hate me like that the press was everywhere and it was amazing doing all these like zooms, you know, but like, I don't know, like when Santa came out or Murray came out, like I was going to places doing press and all that stuff. And yeah. there's, there's still no screening of Barney. So, you know, we're, I'm working on trying to get something like that done, but like just to hear that reaction, you know, is, uh, that's the best part. Yeah. 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 It's like, 
It's like being a chef and only doing delivery, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and you're just like, do do they like it? Like what? Yeah. You know, oh, I got a good review on Yelp. Great. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, dude, at the end of the day, when it's exciting, it's so fucking good. And yeah. And as filmmakers, I feel like we're just chasing that high consistently. Always. And, and you know, whether it's, Coming up with a great idea, like breaking a great idea, there's nothing better than that where you're like, oh, fuck, this is going to be great. And then, you know, you get on set for the first day and you're looking at the monitor and you're like, this is the shit. And then when you're in the edit room and you're you're putting together the pieces and you're like, holy fuck, this is a, this is a movie. And then when you're screening it, and it doesn't matter how yeah. big the audience is, it could be five people. But when you're screening it and people are responding to it, and then yeah. you're seeing it with strangers, which is, I mean, you should do a whole doc on that whole phenomenon. Like, how the fuck is it that I can watch a movie with three different people and see it three different ways and no one says anything? It's just sitting yeah. in the same space with folks. Um, it's magical. What we do is magic still. It really is. And, you know, trying to keep that magic as pure as we possibly can and trying to keep the roots and the origin of that magic and the and – the, and the reason why we do it as pure as, as as I can, that's that's the fight against the cynicism for me, is that. Yeah, I just I try my best not to make it feel like a job, you know, because I've been yeah. like I've like shadowed on like TV shows before and it's like, oh, everyone's here for a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's just like I just really want to enjoy what I do, you know, and you know, the saying goes with the job thing, you know, if you don't if you enjoy what you do, blah, 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 whatever it is saying. Sure, is. sure, sure. <laughs> but, but like, I don't know, man. Like, it's just, I really, like, you know, like, sometimes, when, like, especially Bill Murray, you know, like, we're flying to London to film, like, the guy who Bill Murray did the dishes at his party. You're like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We didn't really get into, I, I, I think that was the first piece that I saw of yours was the Bill Murray doc. Because, you know, obviously, I'm, Bill Murray was such a, uh, and still continues to be, but was such a, a huge part of my childhood and a, a, a huge male role model for me at, at one point in time. And so um, I remember hearing those stories where you had to just call his, his voicemail and and, yeah. and try to get – and everybody was on that voicemail. Like I saw that clip where you called his voicemail and I'm like, okay, so who else is on – on that lineup of messages that he's listening to, like what other famous director called him that week at the right? same time. That's yeah, wild that that was the only way that you can book him, you know? Still is. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. I, I can't remember. Did you end up meeting him? Was he in the dark? I can't remember the, the payoff. Of uh, I mean, I, I've been around him and at the end you do see me and him in the same frame. Uh, but you know, it's like, no, nothing against this movie, but we, you know, there was that documentary, My Date with Drew. You know, it's like how like this guy was trying to meet Drew Barrymore, and like that was his whole. And we were like, we were very cautious to m- not make it a Will Tommy get to Bill Murray sort of story. Mm-hmm. You know, in the very beginning, there's a picture of me and Bill, and it's like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the guy on the right. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and and it, it's just, and we we were able to take that picture and we and the stories and kind of make it about something bigger than a chase but yeah i mean he's in it uh he's never watched it you know uh mick foley one time was doing some gig where he was santa and bill murray was there and you know mick's like you gotta watch the movie he's like ah no 
<laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird watching a piece on yourself, though. Yeah. I did, did you? So, have you talked to him at all since, or have you no, had any communication? No, I've never really talked to him outside of like, "Excuse me, sir." <laughs> yeah, that's wild. You know, but but Joel, his brother, uh, you know, he's in our movie, and he really enjoyed the movie, and I'll, I'll keep in touch with him from time to time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the closest I'm going to get, and that's really fine. It's like you know. Uh, I never made it to make Bill happy. I just, I just, I didn't want him to hate it, you know, but sure. if he never watches it, he'll never like it or hate it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Which is kind of wild too, because you're chasing this mythical creature and you know, he's still, well, our, our thought was like, okay, we're making a Bigfoot documentary, right? Yeah. 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 If, yeah. if at the end of a Bigfoot documentary, you're sitting here like, Bill, you know, Bigfoot sits down with the lights on him and everything. You're like, so what's with the woods? You know, it destroys that magic, you know? So we wanted to keep that alive. And same thing with Santa, you know, it's like, you know, here we're telling you Santa Claus isn't real, but what, you know, what we can tell you is real is this, is this magic here, you know? So, uh, so it's just trying to keep all that sort of stuff alive. Were there any stories in the, in the Murray doc that uh, didn't make the cut that you found that were wild and crazy? Um, it's been such a while. I mean, some of them were like condensed. Like there was a couple, like like the crying Murray thing, or like there's a couple like where he would just he randomly started singing "Happy Birthday" to someone. Like we, you know, some of them just weren't didn't deserve. I shouldn't say deserve. Some of them didn't. We couldn't give everything like five minutes. You know, sure, sure. Uh, so some of them were a little bit more condensed, and there were some stories where some people didn't want to talk to us, or we couldn't reach out to, or we heard afterwards. But I mean, the thing is, like, he's still out there and he's still doing these things. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's fun. It's cool. You know, yeah, it's wild. It's wild, man. It's such a great idea for a duck. And I, I think more than anything, as I think about your work, you. It really comes down to really smart initial ideas, you know? Oh, thank you. I really think that's because I end up asking myself the same question. And oftentimes I'm like, oh man, he asked that question before I did. That's fascinating. That's cool. You know? Um, and I think that's the, the power of the, the films that you make are, you know, there are these things that surround us all the time. There's these things that we sort of just take for granted, you know? And you go, oh yeah, but who the fuck is that Santa? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, and I and I, I appreciate when people will watch and go, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, man. you know, and I and I, I think that's fun. You know, I, I um, I like just taking that one thing and changing it a little bit. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just it's fun to look at things from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you completely, man. Uh, you know, I. I when I, I was, it was like kind of like a back to back when like Barney was coming out, and then I was launching a Kickstarter for the Houses Project, where people were like, "You man, you really only do fun things," and I was like, "Ah, oh, thank you so much." <laughs> and then uh, one day I'll ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but dude, like, I mean, I, 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 I you know, um, you know, I started following you on you know Instagram, and I love the the way you're putting out the new short, you know, Thanks, and man. I watched it last night and I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Man. Uh, I just, you know, I was, <laughs> but like, as I was watching, I was like, oh, that's a, it's, it's it, with, with scripted movies. I don't, I don't make them. Right. So like, I'd think about like what it must be like to make them. And I was thinking, I was like, okay, there's two guys naked there. I was like, <laughs> I'm curious. Like, like how exactly you close down the set? Is everyone cool? Like, cause you're like, everyone's like hugging in the scene. You know, I was like, this is, this would be a fun little fly on the wall. 
to how to make the scene, you know? See, there is the documentarian in you. There's a, and it's, <laughs> it's the good. So spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen 12 Cam. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no worries. The, you know, but um, we're going to spoil it here. So <laughs> the backstory, <laughs> you'll find this fascinating. The backstory of that is the guy who plays the father. So the bald guy, the scary guy at the end of yeah. the movie. Um, this ties back to your Santa stuff. He is my uncle. Oh. And he, when we were kids, was always, uh, he would always come uh, at like Christmas Eve dressed as Santa and he would like he just get naked. He'd get naked. Yeah, he'd take his dick out. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he would always come and perform. And when I started making movies, I would cast him. So, like, my first short that went to Trauma Dance. He played a, a dead cadaver on a table. And then we did uh, a quick little zombie movie, and he was uh, played a zombie that was shot in the face. And then I cast him in a Meshuggah. I did the Meshuggah Bleed video, and he was the demon in that, which went viral, and that was huge. And so when I did 12KM, he was used to me calling him up to do stuff. And I called him, and I said, uh, hey, you want to? You want to be in a movie? I'm making a movie. He goes, yeah, 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 we'll do it. And I said, yeah. And he's also in construction. I'm like, yeah, so I need you to help me build the sets. <laughs> I need you to help okay. me build the sets. And I've got a part for you. And he goes, all right, cool. He goes, what is, what is it? I go, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be creepy. It's going to be scary. I'll send you a script, right? And so he just waited and waited and waited. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a week before. And he called me and he was feeling a little nervous. And he goes, I haven't seen a script. <laughs> And I said, oh, yeah, all right, I'm sending it to you now. And I go, I got to warn you, though. You're going to be naked in this one. <laughs> and he goes, like, naked? Like, fully naked? And I go, yeah, like, fully naked. I said, it's the ultimate special effect, <laughs> you know, <laughs> having a guy fully naked in the movie. So you're going to be fully naked. He goes, okay. Uh, are there going to be, like, cute makeup artists there? And I go, yeah. And he goes, all right, I'll be naked. And I go, okay. All right, <laughs> and so we showed up to set and everybody, all the whole crew knew that he's my uncle. And the actor that he's starring with, Ara, who's next to him, I had gone through the casting process and I don't want to say I bullied him, but I was kind of like, dude, you know, we're going to have, it'd be great if you were also naked. He goes, I'm, I'm fully in, I'm committed. I'm going to be naked. I said, cool. All right. And so then he called me with cold feet like a week or so prior and was like, mm, I've been doing some research on some socks and some nude socks. And I go, okay, sure, we can do that. It'll change the way I cover the scene. We can do some nude socks, but my uncle's going to be naked. <laughs> you know, he's going to be fully naked for the bit. And so we got on set and it was awkward for about three seconds until my uncle came out and took the robe off and he was like, I'm here. And it was just, he was so professional about it. And so I'm just like examining the monitor. And I remember, I think it was my brother or something walked in and he goes, fucking Uncle Paul's walking around with his dick out. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I, don't even re I don't even recognize it anymore. I'm so busy, hyper-focused on this stuff. Um, so yeah, it is my uncle. It is the, the backstory is that it's in the family. It is a family, <laughs> it's a family penis. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it was wild, man. It was a fun shoot. Well, because like I'll, I'll watch a scripted movie and like 
when people are like crying in front of each other, it's like, what are you, what, like, what do the people do in the se- like script, like, like the scene there? You know, like it's just like I'm thinking of like all the like uh, crew members. You know, like oh god, it's just yeah. gonna be it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, 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 and it, I mean, because everything we do is fake. Everything's yeah. fake. You know, as soon as you set up a camera on a tripod, it's fucking fake. Like everything is false. And so what we're trying to do as filmmakers is, is create some sense of reality. And there's a power to having a monitor on set, even though there's a lot of negatives to having a monitor on set, but there's a power to being able to take folks out of this completely fake, false fucking room and walk to a monitor and go, that's the world that that's yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A window there, right? Yeah. And so then everybody goes, Ooh. And then it, some people, you can see some crew members just sort of st- stepping in front of the camera so that they can be in that world and they can see themselves <laughs> in that world, which is fun. Um, so if you're building like a, a safe environment for that kind of creativity, then it, I don't think it becomes awkward. It's seeing an actor cry in front of the cameras. It, it's the same as seeing a, you know, a sound mixer struggling with, you know, putting a, the placement of the wireless microphone in the right spot. It's, it's, it's craft at that point. It's not necessarily as awkward as you think. <laughs> the only thing I can relate to is like in Santa Claus, uh, our Santa Jim was doing a not naked uh, <laughs> photo, but close to naked photo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, it's just me. <laughs> I, like I don't have a sound guy. I don't have a second camera. I, I'm camera. I'm sound. And I was like, and I go, well, Jim, I'm not going to be able to mic you. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to put a boom on here and just follow you. But like, I just can't. I won't be able to mic you because like, if, as soon as you take your clothes off, I'm not going to hear you. You know? Yeah, yeah. But it's like you know the conversations you have is like you know, like I, I did like one. Sc- I, I know you got to run, but like I do like I don't one. Know, we script- can do this. We can keep going. Yeah, keep going. Uh, I did one scripted movie where like, you know, I don't ever really mention it, but like there was like some nudity and some stuff like that. And it's, it's always uncomfortable, but, uh, but I don't know. It's just, uh, it's always, it's always funny. You know, it, dude, it's why, like I've done my history. My first film that I did that went to trauma dance was about a woman that dies in a bathtub and they, they, uh, they claim that she's dead. They send her to the morgue and the story is about a creepy mortician who is like falling in love and doing some creepy things with uh, some dead folks in there. And this woman wakes up, turns out she just had a severe form of hypothermia and she wakes up. And so it's really crazy and creepy. Um, And this poor poor girl, and I was young, I was right out of film school. So this was like 99, 2000. And um, I had the sequence where we built this set. We built this bathroom set in a, wood shop somewhere it was like on the cape on cape cod so we built it in this like very drafty very cold damp <laughs> fucking wood shop and we have this beautiful actress from you know south africa coming in and i don't know how i convinced her to come do this for a bunch of young guys because it's the set is all young dudes you know and and i was concerned about it and and so i told my mom i'm like hey will you go pick her up because she came in on a train, and I said, "Will you go pick her up on a train, and will you really connect with this with this woman for me? Because you're literally the only female on this set, <laughs> and this, yeah. this poor woman has to be found." It was scripted that she was completely naked in the bathtub, and so um, my mom connects with her, and she w- was coming to me, 
And, you know, give him, she's like, she's a little nervous about this. And do you think maybe you can put some sort of like sheer in front of this? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my mom was essentially like the early version of an intimacy coordinator (laughs) on a film set. But this poor girl, so she comes to do the shoot and we put like a clawfoot bathtub in this warehouse, but there's no plumbing. And so we had to fill this bathtub full of water and it didn't occur to me that we had to keep it warm. Right. Uh, and so we're in there and it was like a last minute sort of stressful situation. And the production designer was like, how do I keep this thing warm? And I was like, just go get some sternos. <laughs> so we have her in this bathtub with these little flame sternos that you would usually put under food to keep it warm. Oh my God. And she's just got these sternos underneath this bathtub. And eventually she sort of hits a point where she goes, it's getting warm in here. <laughs> and I'm like, we're just boiling this poor girl. That's so funny. You are boiling. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Sometimes it can be super fucking awkward and strange and weird. And oh, and the, th- the thing I think of too is like in um, it's like there's a there's a way where I could hide behind a documentary in that I'm following someone else's story. I'm following someone else's opinions. I'm following the truth of whatever that is. Yeah. Whereas a scripted movie, if you're doing something that's like you know, crazy or weird or, you know, killing or something like that. It's like, this is coming out of your head, you yes, know? Yes. So like, I do, I do want to eventually get into scripted, but I have that fear of someone judging. <laughs> uh, this is this stuff you think about, you know, like that yeah, stuff, you know, course, like, 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 you know, Oh, you want to, why, why do you want to have a dead body in the bathtub? You know, like, or why do you want to do this? Or why would you want to, you know, have like, you know, people digging a hole. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's just like whether they're good decisions or bad decisions or whatever, it's like, they're judging this. This came out of my head (laughs) versus like, Oh no, I just followed that story. You know, even though you (laughs) wanted to follow that story, you chose to follow that story. There is that sort of safeness and hiding behind someone else's like, no, they're crazy. Not me. (laughs) Well, that's true. I mean, there is that, but you just got to, I embrace it, man. Like I've done, So many things. I used to do back in the day, I did Suicide Girl shoots. For, oh, right. Yeah, man. So, like, I've done all sorts of weird shit. Um, and you just, the way I look at it is, I mean, I've got a twisted brain. I've got a dark, twisted sort of brain, anyways, that I'm fine with that. And uh, I almost chuckle when people come to me and go, This is pretty fucking twisted. Where did this come from? And I go, Well, where do you think it came from? <laughs> yeah. um, but it's cool, man. It's fascinating the difference. I felt awkward on the other side because I spent years as a cinematographer shooting docs. And uh-huh. so like I would work for directors like Rudy Hippolyte and we'd go get embedded, embedded with like, we did a doc on uh, the 125 gangs of Boston. So we got embedded with like gang kids and, and all that stuff. And I, I felt more awkward in that scenario where uh, I'm coming in, especially as a shooter, I'm coming in and this is kind of like a gig for me. It isn't necessarily like an artistic thing. And my gig is literally, you know, dragging in gear into, you know, an impoverished home and, you know, trying to be invisible in this life and trying to capture this life of people that are going through hardships and shit. And that started to really fuck with me. And, And the stuff that you bring home from Doc started to fuck with me because it's like, now I'm a part of these people's lives and they're a part of my life. And this isn't just characters anymore. Like the characters that 
we're going to be building on the screen of real fucking people going through real fucking hardships. And that started to really fuck with me. So I, I was like, I can't do dogs, you know? No, I get it. You know, I remember one feeling I had where I was like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, you know, like there uh, was like, we were doing something for Waldo and we were filming these people and one of them cried. And at the end I was like, all right, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that sort of feeling like, all right, I should have asked a couple more questions. So that way they know that I'm not like just right after the cry. But like, I was like, well, that just summed it all up for me. And like, I didn't need any more, but like, I just felt like I was like, I had, I just felt uncomfortable with the way I did that, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I always, I always, awesome. but it's, it is an interesting thing. Like when I talk to some of the doc uh, subjects, it's I always have this sort of like, um, like I miss them afterwards. You know, like I, I, you, you talk that to them constantly for whatever amount of time you're working with them, and then you just don't. You know, you, you find the next person to constantly talk to, you know? So there's like, I just, I just want the big fish funeral. Like I want (laughs) like, you know, at the end of big fish, there's like all these like weird characters from his life. I just want some Santa's there. I want some (laughs) Ghostbuster fans. I want some people who dress like Barney, you know, I just, I just want all these sort of weird bank robbers. I just want a whole (laughs) mixture of like, how do you know those guys? Like, ah, you know, like that's, that's my goal. I just want the big fish funeral. I think that'd be a great funeral to go to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hot ticket. Yeah, man. It's cra- It's it's wild. The differences, I think, between narrative and doc. It, 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 yeah. I mean, it's all storytelling, right? And it, you've, you feel like the, the writing that happens in documentaries happens in the edit. The writing that happens for narratives happens in the script stage. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's the life experiences in the interim. I, it, I've had so many great experiences being on documentary crews and I've had so many great experiences um, meeting like real life people and inspiring people. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm, I'm the guy that likes to like be in this weird space with like beautiful lighting and, and uh, no, doing, like, absolutely. It, 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 I get it. You know, I totally, totally get it. Uh, you know, I, for a while was only watching docs for a while. And then I just started like in the last couple bit like just transitioning and just watching scripted things again uh and i just you know it's just great seeing like like oh wow that's just it that looks so cool or that that like was like was it um i can never say the name of the movie right but mid midsummer mm-hmm. midsummer uh yeah like when that when that one actress like walks out of the one bed like goes into the one bedroom and then like it's the same shot and it's like she's in the plane now or whatever it's like that stuff's so cool yeah yeah and Yes, it is fucking rad. I, like I had folks asking me if it was fun to do twelve cam. I'm like, yeah, I, I ate my lunch on the set. Like I would go and sit in the lighting and look at the production design and look. Just I get why people stand in line at Disneyland. You know, it's yeah. like it, that's what we get to do when we do these sets and these narrative things. Is that we're essentially building these worlds and we're one of the very few that get to go on this ride. And I love that. Yeah, I never thought I'd be a person that could go on like a, a lot, like a movie lot. But it, like when I lived in California, I got to go to like a good chunk of them. Yeah, and uh, it's amazing. I just yeah. like <laughs> the last one. I haven't fully, ex- I haven't fully explored Universal. I went there for a meeting with Peacock, and I didn't tell them I was like gonna go walk on the lot afterwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and like, and like, I got stopped, and like, you know, like, like two security 
cars and three security people. And they're like, where are you going? I was like, well, they're like, do you work here? I was like, no, but my doc's doing well on the platform, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, uh, and they, they didn't want me to keep walking around and stuff like that. Cause uh, they're like, you need permission. I was like, well, okay. You know? And then like, a tram car comes by with all these fans yep. and I was like, can you just like push me over the car and act like you're like arresting me? And they're like, no, you <laughs> but like I got close. Like I went through all the Western stuff. I got through all like the New York stuff and I was like trying to get to, you know, where the monsters house was, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Dude, I, dude, I, I had very similar situations, man. Like I love going and unfortunately, they don't do it as much now because everybody's Zoom related. But I loved going on general meetings to any of the yes. big major studios because you you would have a fucking pass. And so, yeah, uh, dude, I did the well, same I had a thing pass too. But they still stopped. I think Universal was a little bit different because, um, you know, it's a theme park too. Yeah, probably. probably. Uh, but you know, I'll get there one day. I'll get to the, I got. I I have a game plan. Like now, like the, <laughs> she told me, she's like, "Oh, you were even going the wrong direction." You know, like. Yeah, you, like, gotta, you gotta examine the map before you go on that adventure, buddy. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, because like you know, there's the the psycho part. Like there's like part, the parts where like you know, the, there's a part of the theme park where they go into that back lot, so you don't want to step on someone's tour, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was fun. I, I I'll get there, you know. But uh, I mean, it's just it's just cool stuff. You mean the Growing Pains house is right there on Warner Brothers, and it's right next to the fake Full yeah. House house. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Warner Brothers is my. I drive by Warner Brothers every morning. Warner Brothers is my favorite set. Yeah. Our, our studio. Really. I've never been on the ranch lot, and apparently they're going to be destroying it soon, or that's the rumor. Oh. And I hope not, because that's like where uh, Chris's vacation house is and the Brady oh. Bunch. Not not Brady Bunch. Uh, Partridge Family. There's like all these like houses on there, and they're gonna, and the Friends uh, Circle, uh, the Wooder thing is there. But uh, oh. they said they might be taking it down. Lame. I'm going to try to go over there, actually. <laughs> I, I I don't know how to get on the ranch lot. So if you can tell me how to do it, yeah, I'll let you know. I've, there are powers of the podcast, so we'll see. We'll oh, okay, see can, okay, we'll see what we can find. Uh, but nice. Anyway, Tommy, we should wrap this up. This has been a really fun conversation, man. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time on a Monday to to get nerdy about this shit. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It's so funny because my friend Jordan Brady has a podcast called respect the process. Oh. Uh, so I kept getting confused at one point. I was like, wait, wait, <laughs> it's cause like it was very similar in the name, you know? Yeah. But not in tone. My, my, show, my show probably is more cynical <laughs> sure. than yeah. his, but yeah, 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 yeah. But dude, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. And the work is great. And I can't wait to see uh, your new pieces, man. I really can. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. There it is. Today's episode in the can. A good one, I think. What did you guys think? Did I get too dark in there? Do I get too cynical? Write to me on Instagram. Let me know. Tell me what you think. Am I being hard on myself? Am I being insecure on my content? There I go again, doing exactly what I said I did. I shouldn't do as a filmmaker during the show. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? I think it came up today on today's show because I'm editing. I'm editing the new film that I just shot. A lot of you guys are interested. I'm cutting this new piece. It's great. I have so many great little moments in it. Uh, and I'm excited. And what's tough is 
you put a lot of restrictions on yourself early on. I'm like, look, I don't want this film to be any longer than like five minutes. I want this to be a nice, short, digestible little thing. But as I start to put these things together, I realize that it might be a little bit longer. And then you start judging yourself where it's like, do I not have the ability to do something in five minutes? Like what the fuck? And so then you start asking yourself these questions and you're trying to weed through all that insecurity as you're cutting, right? Because you don't want it to affect the work. And then you take a break from cutting and then you start to overthink it. And then you start talking to other people like, what do you think of my work and how does this and you become so fucking insecure about your stuff um even though it's great and you know it's going to be great and i keep telling myself all you gotta do dude is just shut the fuck up and just keep cutting just keep working push your way through it you will find it a lot of hard work you got to do to get through this thing and uh I don't know if that's necessarily healthy i don't know if my therapist would say that that's a healthy way to do it but that's the way that i've always done it so I put my head down and I work harder and I just push through it. I don't know. Maybe it's not the right way to do it. <sighs> See, I'm just, I'm, I'm acting insecure today. It's because of the rain. Is it the rain though? What a douche. <laughs> Thank you everybody for listening to today's episode. What'd you think? Um, it's a, are there a lot of you out there that want to be documentarians? I feel like it. There's a lot of you that have been responding to our documentary episodes. Do you guys want more episodes? Who would you like me to talk to next? As we start to line up our uh, guests for this year, is there someone that works on a movie set that you have always been curious about? Is there uh, something that you wish I would tackle? Is there someone that you want to hear me talk to? Write to me on Instagram at Mike Petchy. Let me know. Tell me, hey, dude, you should do a show on this. And uh, it's even better if you have like an Instagram account associated with it. Send me their info because I've done this in the past. The diehard listeners of the show know that I will reach out and try to get folks booked. And now that we have such a successful uh, history on the show with so many listeners, it's a lot easier for me to get guests on the show. So if you want to hear somebody, write me a suggestion on Instagram. Do it. Do it now. Um, all right. That's it. I'll let you guys go. Lots of cool stuff coming up this year. Lots of contests, lots of giveaways. We got stuff on the horizon. So strap yourselves in, man. And uh, you know the deal. I will see you next Tuesday. 